Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, and welcome back to what is part two of my Viticulture episodes. So if you haven't heard part one, you need to go back to episode 98. And on that episode, I'm looking at the annual growth cycle of a vine so you could understand what happens each year and at what stage. I also break down into categories the climates that you can find where we grow grapes and then look deeper into the mesoclimates of each site. And then again, a little bit geeky looking into the soils and talking about textures and nutrients and minerals. So if you haven't heard that, go back now. However, if you are ready for part two, we are going to be looking at rootstocks and clonal selections, then a little bit on vineyard design, how you choose your trellising for the vines, and in fact, training that vine once you've done that, looking at preparing soils, a little bit of what you do during the year, such as green harvesting and leaf stripping, cover crops, irrigation, and even a little bit on pest control and hazards. Now, of course, this is not crazy in depth. These are subjects that people spend years and years studying. But I just wanted, if you remember part one, to share my findings as I've re-studied and gone over my viticulture books from when I did the WSET diploma, as I find the whole thing so interesting, as it gives you that greater perspective as to what decisions and considerations need to be taken when thinking about starting a new vineyard and then of course the day-to-day running to make sure those vines survive and we can drink a delicious bottle of wine. Now if you've been listening to the last few episodes you will know that this podcast is in the running for the People's Choice Podcast Awards. So may I ask all of you if you have a few minutes to please go and vote for me this will be the greatest support you can offer so all you need to do is go to www.podcastawards.com fill out your email address and make sure that you've verified that email after the podcast awards your email address will be deleted you have an option at the bottom of the screen if you want to put your biggest podcast influencer of course if you want to put me you're welcome to just fill out eat sleep wine repeat click sign up and it just takes you to the nominations page if you go to the arts category that's where you'll find me just click eat sleep wine repeat you can vote for other podcasts in other categories if you want and just go to the bottom of the page and click save nomination voting is open for just this month july 2022 and the deepest thanks to every one of you who manages to do this because i'm just a tiny little fish in a very big pond if you see who i'm up against right well i know you're all screaming at me to get to the rootstocks so let's go across and talk about these and those clonal selections now So I want to talk about why we use rootstocks in the first place. And this primarily is based on a evil, horrible little insect, this louse called phylloxera, which I think many of you have heard me or many of my guests talk about 
before. So in the 1800s, in fact, 1863, this evil louse was identified in Europe and it went around nibbling away at the roots of European vines, so the species Vetus vinifera, and this resulted in two-thirds of the European vineyards being destroyed. Now, this little louse came from America, so they knew that the rootstocks in America could handle phylloxera. Now, you have Vetus riparia, which is a species that is low in vigour, it's quite early ripening, but it has a deficiency in chalky soils. Then you have Vetus rupestris, now this is very vigorous, so the opposite side, it's good in soils with very little water and it can root very, very deeply, but again, it's not great in chalky soils. But it's okay, because here comes Vetus balandieri, which can handle the chalky soils, however, <laughs> is not very good at being grafted and it doesn't root very well in the soils. Now Vetus vinifera in the first place is great in chalky lime rich soils but as we know can't handle phylloxera. So if we think about these four species they've all been crossed with each other with Vetus riparia and Vetus rupestris being the principal rootstocks. Now being crossed, this allows them to combat all these different problems. So a winemaker can literally look in a catalogue now of all these different named rootstocks and depending on the vigour that they need based on their soils, depending on lime tolerance that they need, depending on if drought is an issue, phylloxera and even nematodes which are a plant parasite. So the reason I'm talking about rootstocks is the fact that actually the majority of vineyards around the world have these specific rootstocks. Now, you're probably not going to know what they are, but it's kind of nice to know that they exist. So if you're wondering how the hell do you get a specific rootstock on the bottom, but the Vetus vinifera fruit on the top, this is all about grafting. So to not get too complicated, because there are slightly different ways to graft, what you're trying to do is take a specific rootstock and graft this onto a scion. Now a scion is taken from last year's growth, so it's effectively a cane from your chosen Vetus vinifera plant, let's say a Chardonnay vine. And this has to have at least two to four buds on, typically 30 to 45 centimeters in length. You're going to take this cane generally at the end of autumn, early winter. So at this point as well, it has the most carbohydrate reserves. And what you're going to do is basically create a specific cut. And there are several ways to do that. And that cut is the graft where the scion and the rootstock attach together. Then you're basically going to dip the scion in malted paraffin wax and that's going to go just below the graft union to prevent it from drying out. And as long as it's stored correctly with a decent amount of humidity, 
after a few weeks with the right temperature, the seal and the rootstock will have a union. They will be joined together and this can then be planted in the soils. And from those buds that were attached to the seal, you're going to get lots of shoots and your vine will start to grow. Now this takes me to clonal selection. Now you've probably heard again the word clone thrown around in many podcasts. Specifically, if you go back to episode 87, when we're talking about Pinot Noir and Pinot clones, that is talked about a lot. So what does that mean? Now, firstly, you could effectively grow a grape from a seed, but it just wouldn't have identical characteristics to any of the other grape varieties. So it's all about cuttings. Cuttings are best and they're very easy to graft onto those rootstocks that we talked about. So a cutting is basically taking a part of a specific plant so it's the same. So this is the very modern way to get clone selection. Back in the past, mass selection or massal selection was where a viticulturalist would walk through the vineyards and he would note for that vintage what were the best performing vines and then he would take the cutting from all of them. So this is not an isolated clone but the whole group. Now the issue with that is with vines you know they just like do their own thing sometimes and they could be a little bit unpredictable so perhaps those cuttings might not have the same yields or the ripening might be slightly different. Things can change. Now mass selection or massal selection still does happen today but what is more popular is specific clonal selection. So if we do talk about Pinot Noir which seems to be the most discussed variety for clones, a specific grape is studied for many many years and it's chosen for its specific traits. Now what a winemaker or a viticulturalist wants now compared to in the past changes. So those traits that were desirable many years ago may not be desirable now but they might be looking at a grape variety that is very early ripening or has specific yields, those size of berries. Maybe they're looking for a specific clone that has more aromatics, more tannin structure or that has higher levels of acidity that can withstand drought which is certainly a massive issue now. You'll also find some clones are actually easier to graft and as you know we love grafting onto specific rootstocks and so once you are happy that you have identified a specific clone from a single variety you can release that to the world and for that reason in France they've released many of the Dijon clones, the Burgundy clones such as 777 or 667. And all of these clones are only released when they're guaranteed to be disease-free, virus-free. So a viticulturalist will go to a vine nursery where they have that guarantee and they tend to have a whole range, a catalogue again of all of these different clones and they can pick what clone they want for their soil and the purpose of what they're growing. And without different clones in your vineyard, you don't have any diversity. Having all of the same clone could mean at some point disease could come and they're all affected. You may only be able to plant that clone in one specific area. So this way you're giving yourself a lot more 
options. Now, just to make clear, a clone is very different to a crossing or a hybrid. Both of these have two parents, whereas a clone, which comes from a cutting, is coming from one parent. So in theory, has the same DNA. But a crossing is when you take two Vetus vinifera plants. So as an example, Cabernet Franc was crossed with Sauvignon Blanc and together they made Cabernet Sauvignon. So this is a crossing. A hybrid is basically the same thing and the exact same process. However, it is a Vetus vinifera plant that is crossed with a different species. So as an example, Vetus labrusca, we've talked about this in other episodes. If you go back to the Finger Lakes episode, episode 94 with Megan Frank from Dr. Constantin Frank, she talks about Vetus labrusca and how it tastes and what it is. And it's a very foxy style of grape variety. But together, If you do a hybrid, very often this can produce grapes that are really hardy and really frost resistant. So hopefully, if you had any confusion before, that makes things clear if you hear people talking about a crossing, a hybrid or a clone. So let's have a little look at vineyard design if you're starting a vineyard from scratch. When you are planting your vines, in terms of direction of rows, you're going to be thinking about the wind, perhaps. You're going to be thinking, of course, if there's a slope and the the shape of the field. Now, if you are going to do vineyard rows north to south, in direction. That's great in a cool climate because actually you can take benefit of the sun from both sides. However, as an example, sometimes a vineyard manager may want to plant the vines in a row east to west with the fact that actually then they're going to get different ripeness levels on each side, which could be the style that they are going for. Now you're going to have to decide planting density. So this is very, very much about the vigor of the vine. And if you've got very fertile soils, of course, this is going to make the vines more vigorous. So you're going to want to plant at low density. And equally, if the soil is poor, this is going to keep the vine vigor low. And what you want to do is plant at high density. So the thinking here is that it puts the vines in competition with one another and therefore they dig deeper to find those nutrients, the minerals and the water that are so necessary. And so their roots expand. You need more root density. Now there is an exception and that is if there is very little water and in that case regardless the roots need to explore to find that water. So they need more soil and therefore low density planting is better. Now the whole point of planting the correct density is because it's so important to achieve the optimum yield and so that is what vineyard managers are always aiming for. Now you can also control the yields or encourage certain yields by your trellising choices. Now trellising and planting vines in long straight ordered rows is something that we've started doing 
after phylloxera. So before, it was very normal to have untrellised vines. So they would be called bush vines, or also known as goblet. A perfect example would be in Beaujolais, or even down in the southern Rome region, Chateauneuf de Pape, if you want to check that out on the internet. Or, in fact basket vines in which they do in Santorini where they wrap the vine round in a circle now that is actually designed more to protect the grapes from the wind but with a bush vine in general they also create a lot of bunch shade so these are great for places that see a lot of sunshine however not a lot of air can get into these vines and therefore obviously disease could be more present. Another more traditional way of growing vines was literally on a stake. So one individual stake where the vine would wrap around. Now this, you're going to get more air in, but the yields are going to be very low. You can see examples of that in Cote Roti, so in the steep hills of the northern Rhone. Now, when it comes to trellising, firstly, a trellis is just simply posts and wires. And a vineyard manager has many decisions that they can choose based on their specific site. So as an example, if you're planting in a place that is likely to get frost, you may want to raise the trellis, start the wires much higher. But at the same time, depending on if you want to mechanise and have animals or tractors go through the rows, one, you're going to need straight lines and you're going to need to separate the distance between the trellises so you can get tractors through. And then in terms of how many wires you have and how much space you give on your trellis, this is going to be based on do you need to take more sunlight so you can separate the grapes and the leaves a little bit further? Or is there more wind that you need to protect from or the temperature? What is the soil fertility like and the maintenance that it's going to cause you to take care of those binds on that trellising system? Now, there are loads of trellising systems, so I'm just going to talk about a few of them. Probably one of the most popular is the vertical shoot positioning trellis. So, often known as VSP for short. This is a non-divided canopy. So what it has, the posts on the end, and then a selection of wires and the foliage wires are movable. So the idea is you can train the shoots upwards, which is a great idea if you have risk of fungal diseases. However, negatively, you're gonna get more shoot density so you do get a lot more shade, which could be a bad thing. So. In that case, you may want to divide the canopy. So you're separating the shoots. So they're going to go in different directions. So anyone who's interested in this, you may want to Google the Scott Henry or the Smart Dyson trellising systems. And this is where the shoots can go up and then some of the shoots will go down. Then, of course, there are always more complex systems and the Geneva double curtain is certainly one of those among them. And what these do, they are actually dividing the trellises. And so these are very good options when you have soil that has a lot of high potential. 
So next time when you're out in a vineyard and you're taking a tour, ask them what the system is in front of you so you can get a visual and start understanding what's more popular in your area if you're lucky enough to have vineyards around you and just to understand why a vineyard manager may choose one over another because with all the positives and the negatives of each system and how unique each site is it's super interesting to chat with a vineyard manager to find out why they chose their specific system now I want to talk about the training of the vine itself before we move on because each offers different benefits and again check this out in the next vineyard that you visit so typically if you're going to a cooler climate region you want less permanent wood and the reason for that is then you are less susceptible to frost so the vines are head trained and cane pruned so basically this is when you're going to hear people talking about a single gyo or a double gyo trained vine and this is something that takes a lot of skill so basically your permanent wood is literally one trunk and as I said head trained it means it has no cordons it has no permanent wood sticking out at the top now during winter when the vineyard team is pruning and cutting away at all of last year's growth they are going to choose very specific canes now they are basically hardened shoots from the year before and they're chosen to lay down on the bottom wire and this is where you're going to get your fruit that's where bud burst will start and the shoots will come out and of course then the grapes so you can either lay down one cane and that's going to be the single gyo or you can lay down two canes known as double gyo now the other way to do it is cordon trained and spur pruned so this has more permanent wood you could choose to have your permanent wood as a single cordon or you could do double like a t-shape now this is much easier to prune and the spurs that have been pruned are portions of one-year-old wood that have been held back retained so that new shoots and all the growth and the grapes can come out of those spurs now regardless of the way each vine is trained the important thing about pruning is that every year you're basically cutting back all of the growth and almost starting from scratch again starting very very close to the trunk and you do that because a vine will grow wild if left to its own devices and therefore loads of shoots will be produced far away from the trunk and the further away from the trunk the more the yield will be irregular and what you'll get is lots of small bunches that have very very low sugar levels but really high acid because they don't get the concentration that they need equally as well from another side you are able to organize your shoots so much better if everything's closer to the trunk, making life a hell of a lot easier for harvesting. So obviously I can't touch on everything in this episode, but I certainly want you to be able to kind of have an idea, a little bit of everything. So I wanted to touch on the preparing of soils because of course, this is something that you need to do in advance. So let's imagine we've picked our trellising and what we're planning to do with our vines. But before that, 
During the summer, we need to remove all the vegetation that's already there. We may want to plant windbreaks. We want to have a look and make sure that the ground is level. So if there's dips, then water can accumulate and that is not going to be good for the roots. It's also not going to be great if we're planning on using machinery. Now in my winery, Balfour, all of the soil is clay. Now this is a very dense, heavy clay. We discussed this in part one. So as an example, they had to install drainage underneath everywhere. So you could do that by digging ditches or you could run pipes underneath the surface. So this is something to take into consideration. And also what about terracing? So if you have slopes that are above 20 degrees, at this point, terracing is pretty important. That's going to stop erosion. Then in autumn, once everything is prepared, we want to fertilize the soils. Again, going back to part one, we talked about how the pH levels need to be above 6.5 and that's going to improve the soil structure. Maybe you want to disinfect for nematodes. It depends if you are an organic or a biodynamic producer or that's in the plan and deep plowing so you want to go and plow down maybe even up to 60 centimeters deep and that's going to help with aeration that's going to help with drainage it may bury the vegetation that you've got it's going to incorporate the fertilizers that you're using so after that we're going to get to the spring so we're now into the second year and it's all about deep cultivation so that's to encourage deep root development and to decrease the soil compaction this also is going to help with weed control and we then start planting and you need to make sure you do that after frost because of course the vines are going to be at their weakest now talking about weeds of course you could use a weed killer it depends on if you are going to be using chemicals or not but if you're thinking about the slightly more natural way there is a process called mulching so you could use straw wood chips or even household waste there's a whole list of things that you could use this can be a lot more expensive, but by putting that on the ground, it can control weeds. The good old fashioned, nice natural way would be with animals. So they would feed on the weeds. However, you've got to make sure that the trunks are actually high enough because then they could cause more problems than they solve. So lovely sheep and chickens going through the vines could be a great option. Now talking about what's growing out of the soils, cover crops. Now many Vineyard managers may plant specific cover crops, either temporary cover crops or permanent, and they'll sow these in the autumn. And the idea of this is to help with soil structure and specifically when they're mowed, that's really, really going to help. But also they can encourage deep rooting of the vines. They can reduce erosion if that's an issue. They can increase water filtration. Biodiversity is another thing. So they're great. You can plant leguminous plants like clovers and they're amazing because they reduce the need of fertilizers. So there's a million different options you could choose for cover crops. 
But of course, with everything, there are negatives too. So by having cover crops, this could increase your spring frost risks. So that's something to think about. And it can also encourage more fungal diseases. And it's worth keeping in mind that cover crops require maintenance, which is going to cost a hell of a lot more money than if you were just using herbicides. Now, as a final thought of what you might do when planning and setting up for your vineyard, I want to talk about irrigation because depending on where you are, this may be absolutely essential. In England, where we are, I don't know of any wineries that are using drip irrigation because the last time we checked, it rains a lot. However, I am recording this during a heat wave, so... (laughs) Um, Global warming, we really never know what's going on. But for now in England, no need for irrigation systems. Now, there are a few that you could choose. There's flood irrigation. This, of course, as the name suggests, is using a lot of water. So tends not to be the most popular method anymore. You can use sprinklers, which actually are great for protection against frost and they're quite cheap to install, but they waste quite a bit of water. And then the most expensive irrigation system is the drip irrigation system and you're going to find this in many many vineyards this is certainly the most popular because it is saving water and can really promote root development and there's loads of really cool great things you can do with irrigation now because you can cause a certain amount of water stress. Now, in general, what we always want to do with a vine is to get the best concentration and the best fruits. You want to stress the vine out just to the point that it doesn't die. (laughs) And you're going to get something pretty fantastic. So you can do the same with water stress. And this can regulate the vegetative growth so there is more berry ripening and one of the techniques that was developed in Australia was called the regulated deficit irrigation and there are now loads of other techniques about when you apply the water and when you hold off and certainly with the drip irrigation system you can really choose exactly when you want to drop in some water and when to stop so that's a whole interesting category as well. Now, I thought I was done, but I'm not quite done. (laughs) I have a few other thoughts and a few other things to throw in. So I want to talk about, imagine when you've got your vines growing and everything is up and running, a few options that you can do during the year to concentrate flavors and get better quality fruit. So one of them is leaf stripping. So this can be done during verasion and in harvest. And this is the removal of leaves. So the idea again, improving fruit quality and the health. And you can do green harvesting. So instead of taking off the leaves, you're taking off the bunches. And what you're doing there is you're changing the leaf to grape ratio. So what happens to the remaining bunches is that they ripen fully and more evenly. You want to do this though during the raisin. And the reason for that, if you green harvest before, Well, the vine is just going to increase its berry size, not the concentration of its flavor. If you do it after, well, the sugar is already in all the berries, so you're not going to get the benefit. So it's all very important when you leaf strip and when you green harvest to get the best benefits. 
Then, of course, there are all the pests that love to run rampant in our beautiful vineyards and a very long list of fungal diseases. So just a small mention of the ones that many people discuss and have to deal with. Powdery mildew, downy mildew, grey rot, Pierce's disease, mites, Utipa dieback, which is also known as dead arm and is actually a really interesting one because there is a fantastic wine that you should try. Great story behind it and it's from Darnberg in McLaren Vale, Australia. So going back to the disease, it's a fungus that attacks one half or the arm of a vine. So eventually it kills it and then you have dead wood. Well, what can happen is the remaining arm can produce grape still, but super, super low yielding. So not very economical at all, but can concentrate the flavors and produce something really powerful and amazing. So ironically, there is a wine called Dead Arm from Durenberg, and it's a beautiful example of an incredibly concentrated, structured Shiraz that you may want to try. But going back to all the horrible stuff again, there is also Pierce's disease. Doesn't sound great. There's leaf roll virus. Of course, there's birds that love to eat the grapes as well that we need to think about. And then, of course, if we're thinking about hazards, wind, drought, heat, excess rain, winter freeze, the frost. So... This is just a very small list of all the things that a viticulturalist is going to have to think about to maintain their vines and to get the best quality. Now, if you want to prevent these pests or these fungal diseases, you of course have the conventional way to do it, which is with agrochemicals. So the long list of insecticides, fungicides, pesticides, bird repellents, herbicides, plant growth regulators, fertilizers, everything chemically, super easy, super cheap, but incredibly harmful to the animals around the land. And it's not thinking about regenerative farming. So the next option to choose from if you want to strip back slightly is integrated viticulture. And this is often known or referred to in France as lutte raison. So this is about using those chemicals that I've just mentioned, but only as and when rather than included in a specific calendar or a routine. Then stripping things back a little bit more, there's organic viticulture. So you are not allowed to use anything synthetic. So there are no pesticides and there are no fungicides going on the grapes. If you want to go into more detail, you can go all the way back to episode 25 where I discuss organics and biodynamics. And so talking about biodynamic, that is going to the holistic approach. So this is very much based on Rudolf Steiner's work and also Maria Thun's. So do check out the two of them to know a little bit more, or as I said, go back to my previous episode. But going back to biodynamics quickly now, it's very much about maintaining a healthy living soil. And 
keeping in mind that our planet is running alongside the other planets in the universe, so the lunar cycle. And so there are root days, leave days, flower days, and fruit days. And based on which day it is, it may be a better day to leaf strip, it may be a better day to plant, it may be a better day to harvest, and some days just leave everything alone. So that is it for today's episode. Are we all ready to go out and plant our own vineyard? (laughs) Perhaps just one vine in the back garden for me. So next week, I am so excited to tell you I have on Fergus Elias, who is the head winemaker of Balfour Winery. Yes, the winery that I am now brand ambassador of. And if anyone's been paying attention to me over the last few months, you will know I am incredibly passionate about these wines. I think that Fergus is a genius. He is definitely moving English wine forward. And so we're going to be talking about clonal selection, clones, and how he thinks that that is the future for English wine, specifically premium Pinot Noir. We'll be talking about techniques in the winery, how he loves using malolactic fermentation and batonnage for texture. So we'll go a little bit geeky there as well. And we'll be talking about new plantings and soils and some of the best wines of Balfour. So don't forget to tune in next week. Now, as always, I leave you with a wine quote, and this is from Saint Augustine, so also known as Augustine of Hippo. He was a philosopher and a bishop, and his writings influenced the development of Western philosophy and of Western Christianity. And he said, we take for granted the slow miracle whereby water in the irrigation of a vineyard becomes wine. It is only when Christ turns water into wine in a quick motion, as it were, that we stand amazed. Well, I hope after this episode and also part one, it brings to the forefront the miracle of each bottle of wine that we open. The story doesn't just begin with the winemaker and his dog, (laughs) but years before with a simple idea, a very organised plan and some serious hard labour and grafting that is it thank you everybody for listening don't forget to like subscribe and share the episode everywhere and if you haven't done it already please go to the podcastawards.com and vote for this podcast you have till july just the end of july I am sending you all high frequency vibrations that the next bottle of wine you open is unique, complex and artisanal. Oh, and for under 15 quid. So enjoy that delicious bottle of wine. And until next week, cheers to you.